Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 150 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is December 27th, 2010. It's our very last podcast of the 2010 calendar year and it should be a pretty good one. I'm down here in Little Dixon, Tennessee visiting my fiance's family for the holidays so I don't have my normal recording equipment. Hopefully it sounds okay but uh, we're coming to you. We're going to try and get everybody on the podcast this week over Skype and uh, we have Special guest first, we have Dan Weber from uscfootball.com. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining the podcast. How are you doing? Well, pretty good, Ryan. A uh, uh, little bit better uh, weather uh, out here, I guess, than you guys are, are dealing with. I mean, you haven't had the blizzard, but uh, it sounds pretty cold and uh, wintry back there. Yeah, we got a little snow. It's been, uh, <laughs> there's snow on the ground. It's kind of nice, though, but it's cold. It's pretty chilly here. My family up in the northeast, they're getting hit by a blizzard right now, but I left L.A. It was raining seven days in a row and come out here and got some snow. So it's it's a little different, a little mixed up. Oh, well, it's going to be better uh, here and in USC uh, uh, football, I think. Uh, we're looking, <laughs> looking, you know, the sky is clearing and uh, all of that kind of thing. And it'll, pretty soon it'll be spring football and every everything will be uh, brighter down the road here. I, I think I agree with you there. And we've been trying to kind of uh, look into the future, I guess you could say, and we put a piece up on uscfootball.com called Scholarship Math, just kind of looking at the the nine early enrollees that came in to the program that USC signed that can participate in spring ball and where that puts puts the, the, uh, the program scholarship-wise, what kind of numbers and stuff. And uh, right now we have the, the count at, at 62 scholarship players with the, the guys that are coming back. Uh, to the program. Uh, that also includes um, uh, Michael Reardon, uh, which he could still leave there, but his you know his name is included in that list and the nine early enrollees. And then, of course, USC will get you know, 15, 20, whatever, 25 uh, new guys in February as well. So it seems like this was a real push for the coaching staff to get this program back up to somewhere near that 85 scholarship limit heading into the sanctions, just so they're better equipped to kind of handle that hit in scholarship numbers. They had to. They had no choice. I think that was absolute. And I don't even think the NCAA, you know, as negative a viewpoint as some of us might have about the NCAA, uh, even the NCAA couldn't have possibly said, you know, uh, we need, you know, if you're below the numbers, uh, you know, the full numbers, then ask you, to uh, also take the hits of the harshest, you know, scholarship penalties in history, uh, pretty much. Uh, I guess one other time there was one that was comparable. And uh, to do so, uh, you know, without having any, not, you know, USC had no knowledge that this kind of, these kinds of penalties were, you know, were coming. So they, had, you know, had the tradition under, uh, you know, Pete to uh, not recruit full classes. I think there's also the issue that, you know, is being, you know, the, the outside the lines on ESPN raised the other night with the, uh, 
the, the tradition in the Southeastern Conference of over-recruiting and running kids off. Uh, I think now the NCAA is probably pretty sensitive about that, uh, you know, uh, that other abuse going the other direction where you recruit more kids and you've got spots for and and you, you run kids off by uh, not, you know, helping them out academically and, and, and what have you once you decided you don't want them or don't need them. Uh, USC never did anything like that, never was any part of any of those kinds of abuses. So, you know, it, it would certainly look like that there's an understanding that USC, until the case is heard, until the final appeal, you know, process has all gone through and, and, and the response back, that USC is allowed to have, uh, you know, an absolutely full, you know, roster of 85 scholarship players because, you know, the penalties were, uh, you know, were worsened by the NCAA when they allowed the, uh, you know, kind of unprecedented uh, kids could leave, uh, juniors and seniors could leave at any time. I mean, that was a second, uh, you know, basically a scholarship reduction against USC. So, uh, uh, you know, it, it certainly looks like it. No one has ever said that we're going to be able to get back up to 85 before we hear, you know, from the NCAA. Uh, but it certainly looks like that's the plan. Yeah, it seems like it. And there's been some debate. I even was talking with Gerard, who's really dialed into all the recruiting stuff. And, you know, they, they've never come out and said, well, you can basically, if you appeal the sanctions, all sanctions are stayed. But it seems like there's some sort of agreement there where USC said, hey, we'll take the bull ban now. Um, and it, it didn't seem like the NCAA would have any problem with that. But it, it does also appear that the full scholarship reductions, the, the limit of 80 to 75 or 80, depending on what USC was accepting on their own, and then five or 10 losses of, of scholarships per year for three years, that whole piece seems to, to have been stayed. It just it really makes it a little bit easier for Lane Kiffin to kind of get the program where it needs to be to handle a hit like those number of scholarships that they have in it. You almost, I mean, if you look at this season, they were under 75 scholarships this year. So I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could compare that to two or three years down the road, you know, two or three years down the road, if they're down to 75 scholarships or so, it might look a little bit like this year did. Right. And, and I guess what the, what USC could be saying is, look, you know, you'd have penalized almost anybody else, uh, certainly in certain conferences, if you'd have penalized anybody else, they would have been starting with 85 scholarships plus probably uh, recruits that uh, took them over that, that they were planning to whack uh, somebody else to get down to 85. Unfortunately, at USC, we didn't do that. You know, we didn't take advantage of kids. We didn't run kids off. We didn't over-recruit. And because of the way it ended up uh, with the coaching transition from one staff to the other, uh, we started out you know, under, in effect, penalty circumstances, penalty numbers. I mean, I guess you could make a case that, hey, we've already used the first year of scholarships last year. Or in effect, last year, USC was under the scholarship ban and probably could say, hey, we already were under 75 scholarships and we were under 15, we only recruited 15 or 14, whatever the number turns out to be now that I look back, looking backwards, USC actually served year one of the penalties last year. Under both sets of numbers, USC hit the NCAA's uh, penalty limit with, uh, they were under 75 scholarships total, 
and they didn't recruit more than fifth. They didn't give uh, out more than fifteen scholarships until you count the early admissions for this year. So, in effect, last year was year one of USC being under a, a, a scholarship sanction. No, I agree with you, and it's a you know an eight and five record. I'm not sure what the record will be a few years from now, but this does put them in a, a place where they'll be able to handle this a little bit better. And of course you're going to lose stuff with a coaching transition as well. So like you put in that top 10 list, there were so many stories over this past year. If you haven't checked it out, check it out on uscfootball.com. Dan did a great top 10 stories of, uh, of 2010 and storylines. And, and amazingly enough, something like a guy like Pete Carroll leaving a program that maybe the most successful run ever didn't even make, the top spot. That's how much crazy stuff was going on with this USC program. Yeah, I, I, I was telling you, I said, I think it was 10 years worth of stories for a normal big-time program, and it happened in about 10 months. I mean, our, our heads are still spinning. I mean, really, when you <laughs> think of all the things that happened to this program in, in about 10 months, it's just absolutely unbelievable. It even ended up by just throwing in the fact that still, you know, USC, as much as we talk about football and basketball, USC still won three NCAA championships last year, which uh, you point out to people and, and they think, well, yeah, so big deal. And you say, well, you know, the other USC, the University of South Carolina, won a championship last year. It was their second in history. <laughs> they won one track, individual track title. I said, people at USC, I don't think they understand how big a deal, you know, what USC does kind of on a regular basis. You almost don't even think about it. And they were one shot away from winning a golf, you know, the national championship in, uh, in golf. So, I mean, it's just uh, it's, it's kind of unbelievable the tradition that's built up and the things that you kind of almost expect without even thinking twice about them. And you look at other places and you think, you know what? This is different. The, the, the expectations here, the the things that are you know are done here uh, on a regular basis are really unusual. Uh, yeah, and, and, uh, at a level that, that just doesn't exist anywhere else. Well, I think a lot of times with the, when you're talking about championships like that, you're going to compare yourselves. If you're USC, you compare yourself to UCLA or Stanford, who they also have over a hundred overall NCAA titles, like USC does. I mean, they're all. I think that's. One, two, and three. I forget who has the most. Or USC had the most, and now they don't. It's something like that. But I mean, you're comparing those to other schools that have a hundred championships, which is just ridiculous, you know. And you're, and you're talking about South Carolina, you know, great tradition in, in athletics. They have two all time. It's hard, but you know, when you have programs in the Pac-10, because the Pac-10 has the most overall championships, that's who you're going to end up comparing it to. Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, you know, USC. I think the different math was. Uh, some of the schools have more NCAA championships. USC, because it predated, I think, in, in terms of uh, the quality of its athletic program, probably uh, for a long while had more overall championships. And, and then, like, the football championships don't count as NCAA championships. If you've got 11, let's say, and somebody else has one or none, uh, you, know, you also then have those championships, even though they don't count to your uh, NCAA championships. Uh, so, but, but the math is amazing when you think about it, and uh, uh, it's one of the reasons that probably there is a little more envy uh, or jealousy
jealousy or however you want to look at it from other schools that they don't exactly verbalize, but it's probably under the surface uh, just a little bit. And as I always think about this, this is the, the image that will never leave my mind is at the very end of that championship baseball game where uh, UCLA, unfortunately, because of all the injuries and, and a couple of uh, you know, things that they did that they were kind of uncharacteristic and they ended up losing to South Carolina this year. And the South Carolina kids winning their first ever team championship are out there on the field, and what are they screaming? S-E-C. S-E-C. <laughs> and I, my head, it's like there's another one of those moments where your head explodes. Can you imagine uh, a USC or a UCLA running out there and jumping on a pile and screaming, Pack 10, Pack 10? It's just, it's such a different mindset. I mean, those kids from from South Carolina would be chanting SEC, SEC. It's just they think about things differently. I mean, USC and uh, and the Pac-10 people or the Pac-12 people are in a different place in terms of this uh, back and forth between conferences, and uh, and it's a story that, that is playing out in the BCS in terms of gaming the system in favor of certain conferences, and it's probably moved into the area of the of where it's really serious, I think, is the gaming the system has moved into the NCAA. And that's not what the NCAA should be about, where some conferences are able to game the NCAA and some are not. Uh, and U.S., especially not if it's going to be the U.S.C. detriment. I mean, when you look at the Auburn case with Cam Newton, when you look at the Ohio State case and how they gamed the system in order to say uh, that, uh, you know, that those kids should be allowed to play in the ball game because they hadn't been. Uh, I mean, I think one of the interesting stories here is a number of years ago when Ohio State got by on Maurice Claret, we were told by the NCAA that the reason they didn't come down hard on Ohio State and Maurice Claret and the national championship and the car that he ended up with and all the things that happened was Ohio State had a fully staffed compliance department, which I think was seven people and a couple of other, you know, uh, associates involved, and that Ohio State did everything you could possibly do in terms of compliance. And, and they tried. They just happened to miss stuff involving Claret. Okay. That was the explanation then. Now the explanation we're getting is that Ohio State is saying that they didn't do the job with their big compliance department in telling these players they weren't allowed to sell their stuff. So now we're getting two different sides of the same story that both are used to justify not coming down so hard on Ohio State. One, they have a wonderful compliance department that does everything right, except catch the you know catch guys breaking the rules. And the second one, they don't have such a good compliance department because they're not telling the players the real story about what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do. Obviously, what that tells you is the NCAA can look at each case any way they choose. And they chose to nail USC, and they haven't chosen yet 
at this point in time to nail Ohio State or to nail Auburn or, you know, to nail, uh, you know, favored schools. That doesn't look good. And if the NCAA wants to act like we're going to get tougher or we're going to do this or whatever, they have established some confidence in the integrity of, you know, their decision-making process. And there, there is none of that right now whatsoever. I mean, how can Ohio State, you know, we hear about the same compliance department, two completely different stories from the NCAA as to how they're making decisions with regard to Ohio State. Yeah, it, it doesn't. There, there's not a lot of consistency there, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I, we can feel the frustration of USC fans on the message boards each and every day. And we'll keep on top of all that story stuff. Well, let's get to a couple where, of questions. Where that really oh. is an important story is you can now read the UCLA message boards or the Ohio State message boards or anybody's message boards, and they all now, if you didn't know what message board you were reading you might think you were still reading the USC message boards because the feeling out there now is that the NCAA you know, can't be trusted and isn't to be trusted. And it's not, you know, for a long time, that was the USC position, but it wasn't necessarily anybody else's position. I think by now, it's kind of generally accepted by a media finally, you know, has come around, uh, and it's a change. If I were the NCA, I would, you know, anybody involved with the NCA, I would really be worried with their lack of credibility in this particular situation. They have really hurt themselves, I think. In USC cases, maybe their first big step where they got themselves all, you know, so publicly off track, uh, uh, you know, just the way that developed. And it took them four years, and then when they did, you know, after four years, they came up with just a horrific, you know, uh, final product as far as the sloppiness of the case and the mistakes and uh, and the harshness and the almost personal tone of, of, of the way they came down on USC. And then the fact that now when you look at everything else that's happening, it's so out of line with how they've dealt with, the other, you know, more favored conferences, the more favored schools, uh, that the NCAA's got a problem, I mean, a gigantic problem, and USC is part of it. And uh, I think they really have to figure out how to resolve this and uh, and, and, and make this go away. Uh, it will be very interesting to see how this happens. I agree with you, Dan. Well, let's get to a couple questions here before we let you go. Um Casey wanted to know what is the story, the status with Markeith Ambles, and he's a guy that, um, you know, we know was released from USC. I don't know if you've heard anything recently, but you know, we don't have him on our scholarship distribution chart. We assume he's going to be transferring somewhere, but we haven't heard exactly what's going on there. I'm not sure if you heard anything recently, Dan. I have not, and and I guess he's really not under any uh, any hurry because he's not playing next year. I mean, so. It, it almost doesn't matter. He's got to be in residence a full, you know, two semesters uh, at, at his new school. So uh, there's no hurry. Uh, my guess would be he's being, you know, re-recruited. And one would think that, you know, there are a bunch of places, you know, in the in the South that, that would make sense for him. Uh, but it, it doesn't seem like there's any need for him to be, uh, you know, 
to resolve this. Because, uh, for example, let's say he goes somewhere in the spring semester uh, and plays this spring or practices this spring uh, with somebody as a transfer, uh, he's still not going to be able to play next fall. So he would, you know, from the way I understand it, he would still have to go, you know, somewhere this spring if he practiced. Uh, he'd still be out next fall and then the next spring. I'm not sure somebody would want necessarily to um, tie up a scholarship, for example, maybe uh, this quickly. So so he might have somewhere, you know, he could also go to a community college and, and pick up some, uh, you know, classes and coursework and things like that. But, uh, but because he can't play next fall, uh, I don't think there's any hurry for, you know, Marquise to, uh, uh, unless he goes to, say, a, uh, the, you know, drops down a level and goes to, some, you know, a school like a Georgia Southern or something like that in, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the championship subdivision, uh, uh, it, you know, that he could be, you know, eligible immediately. I wouldn't guess that's what he's going to do, but uh, I don't think there's any hurry. Okay. And then uh, one last thing. We do talk a little hoops here on the podcast. We haven't read lately, but USC's uh... – off to an eight and five start on the basketball court, just like USC finished the season with an eight and five record. So that's kind of interesting. But you know, they had some yeah. some good games. They beat Tennessee. Uh, you know, they got came real close to number three Kansas. You know, just by stepping on the the end line there, they beat Texas. All that said, what? How do you think? You know, you've been to some of these games. How do you think the uh, the Minotaur are going to do when they the, the Pac-10 12 play starts this week? That's from Brandon. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I've contended all along that they had, at the absolute worst, the second-best talent in the Pac-10, and I really hadn't seen Geo, uh, you know, play with the, the rest of the guys in any games. Uh, uh, I think Geo is the real deal. Geo Fontaine, the transfer from uh, from uh, Fordham, uh, is just, he's just one of those kids that calms them down, I think. Uh, he, he will get the basketball to places that, USC hasn't been able to do in terms of dribble drive penetration, and he will make the big guys better because he, you know, they won't have one of these games where they just set up passing the ball on the perimeter and finally somebody jacks one up from from downtown because they can't figure out what the heck else to do. Uh, you know, I think the the offensive they've had offensive limitations uh, in the past. I mean, I, I still have trouble getting over the fact that those back to back forty four point games they at home last year against Oregon and then Oregon State when they got zoned. I mean, it's like God, how did that how could that possibly ever happen with a team that that has uh, the talent USC has? Uh, but I do think uh, you know this team has some possibilities. Uh, uh, you know, obviously they, you know, they probably should be eleven and two, uh, even without Geo. But with Geo, they certainly would have been, uh, you know, eleven and two, maybe twelve and one. Uh, he's really that good. He makes the two big guys better. Uh, uh, Alex Stevenson is getting better. He's getting more flexible. I think the yoga is really working with him, and, and he's a he's a big, strong athlete. And then and, and Nikola Vucevic. I mean. I don't know that anybody in the country has the one to, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, ability uh, with two six ten kids to play down low. The problem is they weren't, uh, uh, and now they're playing more uh, two man game where they're forcing you to guard them on the blocks and they're forcing you to guard them in the lane where they go high low a little bit, and they're moving uh, and shooting the ball into one another, 
as opposed to just taking up a shot when you know whenever they feel like it. Uh, and it's really difficult. I thought it was one of the amazing things was with Kansas realized they couldn't guard the two of them. Uh, you know, Kansas has got a couple of big guys that you know, basically as you know the two Mar- the Morris brothers, and uh, they physically couldn't handle. Uh, uh, you know, Nicola and Alex, and uh, I don't think anybody in the Pac-10 can either. Uh, I do think this team will play defense. Um, I do think the fact that you're going to be forced to deal with the two six ten guys, because I think uh, Kevin has realized, you know, we have to be able to, you know, run a really consistent, smart, solid offense. I know he's been a defensive-minded coach, but I think offense is going to be the thing that's going to determine you know, the success of this team. And by the way they're forcing people to have to defend down low, it really opens up the perimeter. And all of a sudden we're realizing Dante Smith really can be an excellent spot-up shooter. And Dante, I think, is realizing I mean, Dante can shoot the ball, but he wasn't consistent, I don't think, in his shot selection. And I don't think they always knew where the shot was going to come for Dante. I think now they do. They're looking for Dante as the zone breaker, and it's going to be harder to play zone against this team because they're forcing you to defend down low. And uh, Gio is a better, you know, the other night he was four from four on three-point shots. He's a better three-point shooter than I think any of us realized before seeing him in action. So uh, this is a different-looking UST team, and this is a team that, you know, they're very, I think, fortunate the schedule, the way the schedule breaks. They get the two Washingtons who are coming in probably as the, uh, the top two threats, uh, you know, in the Pac-10. They get them at home this week. And then uh, their first game with UCLA is at USC, their next uh, uh, Pac-10 game. So uh, uh, things are breaking well for this basketball team. And I like, uh, you know, I like the makeup a lot. But Gio Fontan... Uh, to put him in there with that little Maurice Jones, who, who really is a talented kid, uh, they've got some some serious talent. They don't have a lot of depth, uh, but they're going to make it really difficult, I think, for a lot of teams in the Pac-10. And they're a team that can win on the road, as they showed at Tennessee, as they almost showed at Kansas, uh, that, that they can go in and play really good people in really difficult arenas, more difficult than any place they're going to play in the Pac-10, uh, and, uh, and really equip themselves well. So I think it's, it's worthwhile being optimistic about you know, the basketball team. I think they've got a chance to be, uh, to be playing in, uh, you know, in the tournament. In, in March, they've got a chance, I think, to, you know, in the Pac-10 tournament, uh, at Staples this year as well. So, uh, you know, maybe uh, USC uh, will have something to think about until uh, spring football. Certainly, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. We'll see what happens with this week when Pac-10 play starts. Dan, we appreciate all your insights on this uh, low-tech version of the podcast. This week. We'll be back in studios next week, but we're just doing this one on the road. Thanks for uh, joining us. Okay, enjoy. Every, always enjoy going back home uh, as a Kentucky guy. Enjoy going back home to Tennessee. Yeah, all right. <laughs> it's kind of fun out here, but... Uh, all right. Every, yeah. Okay, see ya. All right, everyone else, we'll be back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk some more USC football. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. 
SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're joined in this week, the second segment. Normally he's leading off the show, but we have Coach Harvey Hyde here uh, talking to me from Tennessee. He's up there in Pasadena. How are you doing, Coach? I am doing great. Uh, I want to say happy holidays to everyone. I hope everyone had a great, great uh Christmas and uh, or holiday season, and it'll be a happy new year for all of us. Uh, today it's exciting here in Pasadena right now because both teams are here. TCU is here down at Marriott uh, at LA Live. Wisconsin's here. I was down there early yesterday morning and saw everybody coming out. Was talking to people. The teams went to Disneyland yesterday. It's it just a it's just a great time of the year here in Southern California, especially in the LA area, passing the area with the Rose Bowl, the Tournament of Roses Parade, the kickoff luncheon and the Hall of Fame ceremonies and all these things that go on. I mean, you could be at something every moment, band fest, equestrian. It's just a great opportunity if you have a family or if, you, if you're an adult and you've never been to these things, you got to go to them because, you know, you can watch the parade on television or watch the game on television. But if you haven't been to it itself, you know, it's something that's one of those things you have to do. Super Bowl, uh, Kentucky Derby, uh, Indianapolis 500 race. And if you haven't done it in Southern California or Pasadena, you got to do it. And Ryan, let me, let me just mention this again. You know, they're having the Hall of Fame uh, ceremony Thursday at the Pasadena Convention Center. Brad Buddy from USC, I want everybody to know that. Remember those great teams. He's going into uh, the... Uh, Rose Bowl Hall of Fame, along with Hayden Fry, and also um, Leroy Keys from Purdue. So if you want to attend that event, you can. By uh, I guess the best way to do it is call the Tournament of Roses at 626-449-4100 and just ask them how do you get tickets for the Hall of Fame, Rose Bowl Hall of Fame, 12 noon, December 30th at the Pasadena Convention Center. It's going to be a great Great, great event. That's four four one forty one hundred. Excuse me for using that period, but I think people should realize what it's all about. What a great event it really is, Brian. Yeah, if you have never been to the Rose Bowl, it's definitely something to uh, check out. It's a great. It's a. It's a. It's just great pageantry, and it's just that the Granddaddy Mall. I don't know. You know, maybe the bowl games go away at some point, but the Rose Bowl just had such great tradition. And our partner over at sctickets.com, they can get you tickets. Just go to sctickets.com, check them out. And uh, Coach doesn't need tickets for the Rose Bowl from them, but you know, for anything else. Coach, they just send you Rose Bowl tickets, I know that. But if you need tickets for anything else or you want to go to the Rose Bowl as a, a fan of just college football, go to sctickets.com. I'll tell you, it's a great place. They do have tickets. They have tickets for the BCS Championship game, too, if you want to play over the Phoenix and watch that game. That's going to be a great game, too, a team from the Pac-10 versus a team from the Southeastern Conference. I think that's going to be... A game that might get over with in about an hour and a half. Uh, 
the way they run and speed their offense up, and Auburn, too, with their big play offense and so on. It's going to be a great game to watch. And, of course, all the other BCS Bowl games are going to be great, too. And the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all, is going to be absolutely fantastic. I'm looking forward to every football game. So don't waste the rest of the football season because it's almost gone, Brian. No, it is. And uh, I know USC fans are would love to be seeing uh, or getting updates on bowl practices and stuff. But I think this team uh, survived a pretty tough year overall, Coach. And, and to finish up 8-5 and five with uh, low numbers on scholarships coming out, I think they're going to come out and be pretty inspired under the second year with Lane Kiffin and his staff. We'll see if there's any shakeup in the staff. But heading into spring ball, I think USC fans, there's a, there's a lot of room for optimism there because it was just a crazy crazy season and they had you know we talked with Dan Weber in the last segment he felt that there were like 10 years worth of major headlines in about a 10-month period and if you look back and having Pete Carroll leave the program not even be the number one story of the year I mean that's pretty crazy so just all the distractions all the, the heartaches and stuff that USC fans and the team had to go through I think year two under Lane Kiffin is just going to be a kind of a, a sigh of relief year, and I think you'll get to see these guys come out and play a little bit more inspired football. I agree, and then this uh, appeal on January 22nd I think is going to be huge to the program because no matter what happens, okay, no matter what happens, hope something good happens, but if nothing happens, or it's over. And I think that's the number one thing. You've got to get all these things behind you so you can focus on the future. You've got to you know, put everything away and bury it or flush it down the toilet or whatever you need to do with it to get it out of the way. It's the past, and you got to move forward. So after January the 22nd comes National Signing Day, which will be February the 2nd, and that'll be huge and all possible, uh, positive and so on. And then you can move into spring practice, the off season, and everything else that goes along with it, you know? I agree, Coach. And I think USC fans should be happy with the, the signing class that's going to come in. I mean, the class that's going to come in on signing day, I think they're going to be pretty impressed with another year of Lane Kiffin putting together a lot of talent uh, and helping out that roster there. We talked about that a little bit. Um, we got some questions, Coach. Uh, our friend Evan wanted to know, he liked what you said last week about, I think it was last week, um, that USC really needs to turn Kennard and, and Nick Perry loose on the quarterback and just kind of wreak havoc in the backfield. He wanted to know, do you think that's going to happen, and do you think they're going to use Kennard maybe at a, a Sam linebacker in different blitzing blitzing schemes or move him to defensive end? That's kind of been, Coach, what we get a lot of questions about. They kind of want Kennard out of the middle, either outside linebacker or defensive end, um, and then let Gallipo stay at middle linebacker. What, what do you think about how that's going to play out? Well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't know what they're thinking. I haven't had a chance to talk to the coaches or – or, or anything like that. I'm just looking at it as what I would do. You know, you've got to have pressure coming off the end. You've got to have pressure. And uh, I would put two great players outside there to force everything back to the inside. You've got to have speed playing out there. So, yeah, I'd put Kennard out there. That's what he came to see to be, the defensive end. I'd have Nick Perry. I'd say, Nick, it's time to get back into the mode of getting to hate the quarterback and, and get in the backfield and play on their side of the ball. And then I'd move Armstead down inside along with the, the other guys we have. And, and uh, then all of a sudden you've got some depth, immediate depth, and you'll have still Wes Horton and some of these other guys who can back up uh, the other defensive ends and then find a, a linebacker combination that can play behind these guys 
And if you're dominant in the front side of the, of the ball, the down four guys, and remember I even talked about possibly going to a, a five defensive front, you know, five four, five fifty defense, then, then you've got uh, to play more linebackers and more speed on the field. And you've got to be able to have guys that can play fast. You've got to play fast today. You see everybody wearing this, or running this wildcat or some form of it everywhere, the pistol or whatever it is, all these options types of offenses. So you got to play fast. It's no longer a power game. Now there's teams that still play power football. Wisconsin is one. Ohio State's got it mixed in there. I think Michigan would like to see that come back to Michigan, the power football game. There's some teams that can play that because there's teams that are not used to defensing power football. But you've got to play great defense, too, because you've got to be quick enough to stop these teams that you play against. And what the theory of power offense is is you keep the ball away from your opponent. That is your defense, your offense. You grind the ball out, and you see what Wisconsin has been able to do with that as far as going 50, 60, 70, 80 points in a game, but not trying to run it up, it's just people can't stop them because they're so huge and they're not used to tackling powerful running backs that run hard. They can't even find them behind their huge offensive line. It's a different type of game. You don't see people doing what people used to do, and then they throw the ball well enough to be able to beat you when you start to you know, put eight or nine guys up in the front and try to slow them down. So... You know, it just depends what you're what you're what you're facing, and I think when you go into Pac-10 as a defensive coordinator, you look and you look at all of your opponents, and you say, "Who do I have to beat? How can I beat them defensively?" And you got to be able to say, "This defense and this scheme will face and will defense our conference better than any other defense." You can't sometimes just run what you run until you look about what you're got to stop and who you got to play. And then, you know, you've got to start with Oregon. Because right now, Oregon is a team in the Pac-10 that is starting to dominate and get the players and playing a certain style of football that you got to stop. And it's, and it's spreading. It's like a disease. Everybody is running the same type of thing. And, of course, you look at what Nevada is running with the pistol. And you look around and you see other people are going to run this. UCLA wants to go to it and make some changes because it's a great equalizer when you – when you can't stop it, you run option, people can't stop you. You have a great quarterback. You've got an extra guy that's a ball carrier, that's a skilled player in your backfield, and the extra receiver. So as a defensive coordinator, you've got to sort of look at this whole thing and say, hey, what do I have to stop? Maybe I have to change. Maybe I have to change what I'm doing to best fit what other people are doing to be able to beat them. But in the, in the NFL, you don't see this. You don't see this in the NFL. They'd have a lot of problems in the NFL. You're starting to see it more in the NFL if you watch on Sunday. You're starting to see teams do more of it. And the NFL is having trouble stopping it. But they don't see it. So you've got to be able to run something that's, uh, which will stop what you're seeing offensively in your conference. And, of course, you know what you see non-conference, too. All right, Coach. Makes sense. And uh, thanks for that question, Evan. We also had a couple questions about uh, general questions about redshirting, and I thought maybe we'd get your kind of coach's opinion on this. We we put up I talked with Dan Weber in the last segment about this a little bit of scholarship uh, math article on uscfootball.com, and uh, and we put up a distribution chart that kind of shows every position broken down by freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior um, where the guys are. And right now, by our count, after the nine early enrollees, there's 62 guys on scholarship. Uh, currently, there's 14 verbal commitments, and we expect there to be at least a handful 
more of those, which could, you know, put USC back up above 80 scholarships or so. But looking back, um, kind of something that Pete Carroll didn't like to do as much. There was more guys redshirted last year. We count 11 redshirt freshmen that'll be on the team next year. So a bunch of guys they've kind of held back. Uh, people wanted to know, do you think that the, the redshirting trend is like that is going to continue uh, just to help out with the lack of depth? They might, you know, redshirts a few more guys just to get kind of down the line when the sanctions kick in, more guys on the roster. Just want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I think, first of all, redshirting is great. If I was a parent sending my kid to college, I would almost ask for a redshirt year. Why? First of all, you get bigger and stronger, and uh, you learn the system. Plus, you get a year ahead, a uh, year in of free education where you're, where you're going to graduate on time. I think this is the number one thing we used to utilize all the time and almost guaranteeing a kid a redshirt year. You know, where that went away is when everybody wanted to leave early and go into the NFL. And when you get these five-star recruits, all of a sudden, you know, they come in with the understanding that coach, yes, yeah, you're going to encourage me. You're going to play me a lot as a freshman so I can make my points or just demonstrate my skills so that when it's time for me to come out as a junior, I'm ready to be a first-round draft choice. And that, that hurts you as much as helps you because you lose all these players. And uh, you've got to go back out and get more players. And uh, you take the University of Wisconsin this coming year. They've got offensive linemen that have all registered. They've got guys that have been around. There's, I don't think they have a five-star recruit. Now, you know, uh, they might have one on their whole whole team or two. I don't know. But they, but they, they usually can get all three stars, okay? Maybe a four-star here and there and so on. And they keep them around five years. And they get big and they get strong and they learn the offense and they become really attached to the Badger football family and tradition and so on. And they play there and they're understanding they're not coming out early. And they're going to play there their four or five years of college football. When you go out and get a lot of these five-star players that think they're going to major in the NFL, well, then you're going to lose a lot of these guys. And you're not going to have the tradition, and you're going to be continually rebuilding these type of players. A lot of the players at SC have gone on. A lot of them have done well. Some have not done well by coming out early. A lot of SC's players have transferred. They have not done well when they transferred. They should have stayed at USC and finished their career and so on. You know, uh, sometimes when kids leave, they leave because they don't want to compete or they don't want to play against great players. Well, you become a great player is when you practice against great players daily. You know, you only get to play 10, 11, 12 games a year, but you practice a lot of times. And if you go against great players every day, then you're going to become a better football player. And if you get a whole year of redshirting and maybe getting the crap kicked out of you because you're a redshirt and you're a scout team and you're going against great players, you become a great player. And But you mature and you have a whole year of practicing that normally other players don't get so I think redshirting is absolutely fantastic. The kids have to be willing to do that when you recruit them. They have to understand that a college degree is worth something. You certainly do have to have players that on your team that want to major in the NFL, but you need those type of great players on your team to take you to the next level. But I think you've got to have a combination, too. You can't have all players that want to major in the NFL. Otherwise, you get wiped out. And if they do want to major in the NFL, then... What you have to do, too, is to be able to control the redshirting situation. 
You've got to keep them. I, I'll just give you an example. I don't think any player that's coming out this year at SC is ready to come out, okay? I think that Smith coming out, fine player. And I said it last week, he's not strong up, uh, in his upper body. He's a great athlete. But he's not ready to block and play in the NFL. I don't think he is. I mean, he's great a football player Sam Baker was and still is. I mean, it was difficult to do that as a freshman and make a team and so on. So do you think he's going to be a first-rounder? I don't. And uh, I told you that before on Casey. I think Casey's a great player, but I think he'd be a greater player if he stayed around another year. Why rush things? Why be in a rush? Now, if you're out, you know, if you're a, like Robert Woods, you know, Robert Woods is going to be, and I can say this, and I think I don't think I'm a genius in saying this, he's, a, he's going to be a football phenom. He's going to be like Jackson playing for the Eagles and these guys. You know, then you, then you sit down and you say, you shake his hand and you say, you know, kid, thank you for three years. I love you. Go on. we we'll cheer for you. And uh, make sure you put me in my will. Put me in my will or somebody, you know? Because, you know, you know, you can't make that type of money doing anything else. And if the money's out there, you don't want the kid to get hurt. You want him to go on and enjoy it and so on and have a great career. So, you know, it depends what type of player you are uh, and, and, and what you came to FC for. And I'd like to see players come to get an education. I'd like to see them also come there to be the best at what they do and also not be in a hurry to leave. I agree, Coach. And, you know, one player I'm very excited about redshirting and maybe one of the most talented redshirts USC's ever had is Kyle Prater coming back. And, you know, Robert Woods obviously stole a lot of the headlines, like you mentioned. But, man, this kid is a special, special talent. And a combination of just kind of injuries and moving out here and stuff, whatever reason, came together that that put him on a, on a redshirt track. And I think this USC offense could get a real boost from a guy like Prater coming off a redshirt year. I agree with you, and, I, and I, you heard me say this last week, and I'll say it again. I'd do away with the tight end offense and make Prater a, a, a big receiver. I'd make him an H-back on and off the line of scrimmage, tight slot, and so on, spread the field. I'd move those other big guys. Probably these guys grimble that don't want me to say this, but uh, I'd move that big stud right down to tackle. I'd line him up, and he'd be an all-pro tackle in 10 years. I tell you, he's a great athlete. He's a great basketball player. He's got great feet. But he's getting so big and strong and so on, and they don't utilize the tight end in the passing game, that he'd be a better tackle and use some of these skilled receivers like Farmer and the rest of them coming in. And they've got all kinds of great plays. Spread the field and utilize them. And, uh, and, and use your speed uh, with some of these other kids that are coming in and create mismatches. Create mismatches. Make people try to stop you. Spread the field where if you make the big play, you're going to go for six. And that's one thing SC hasn't had the last couple of years. Not many big plays, explosion plays. We have scored three plays, and or you get the home run immediately. you got to create those situations where you, you know, light it up, light up the scoreboard, you know, and then play great, aggressive defense. I agree, Coach. Well, hey, one last thing. Um, we want to – it's kind of a general recruiting question about – uh, offensive linemen. If you look at the our scholarship chart, currently there's two seniors on the offensive line. Uh, there are five juniors, with the, counting the transfers that are coming in, two sophomores, and only one freshman that redshirted. There's now there's four commitments coming in, most likely, and um, 
see the way the numbers pair out. Like you kind of have a lot of offensive linemen in one year, not a lot the next year. And then this freshman year, there'll probably be a lot more with the guys coming in there. How do, how do you think that plays out on the offensive line? Do you think USC should get as many? I mean, they're bringing in a couple of juniors, but should they get as many freshmen as they can, even though you're going to have like one year with a whole bunch of guys and the next year with not as many? Oh, yes, definitely. You know, linemen are probably the hardest position to recruit. There's a lot of great skilled player, players all over the country, great skilled players. You know, it's, it's tough to find a, a Henderson, this kid that made freshman All-American that FC had signed and went down to Miami. They say he's a great kid down there, played well and did it all. They're going to move him to left tackle next year. You know, when you get those type of players, man, you can't turn, you can't get too many offensive linemen. You really can't get enough of them, believe me. Retro, you bring them along, you teach them the offense, they get stronger and bigger and so on. Those great teams that FC has had in the past have all the Munozes and Yaris and Brad Buddies and these type of guys. Hey, that's what you call, you know, smash mouth. Hey, you know, my X is bigger than your, my O is bigger than your X or whatever you want to say. It just isn't going to happen. You're not going to beat me. And I think that's what you have to do with the offensive line. They've got to mature. They've got to get stronger. You've got to keep them around a long time. You've got to own the line of scrimmage. You've got to be able to come off the line of scrimmage. I think a lot of this zone blocking is overrated. I like to see it come off the line and play on their side of the field. Play on their side of the field. Because these guys aren't used to uh, linemen firing out. They're used to facing all these zone type of teams and so on. Stafford is that type of team. And look at the... Look at the success that Harbaugh and Stanford has had with their linemen coming off the field. They don't zone block around a lot. They want to double team, pull block down, pull their offside guard. They want to. They want your secondary to start tackling our running backs, and uh, and all of a sudden uh, your secondary doesn't want to tackle their running backs because they're beat up and they're sore. And they don't want to do that anymore. So you know, I, I think you've got to have offensive linemen, and you never turn down an offensive lineman. And a lot of these kids coming in, these junior college players, and so on. You know, it's next level. It's a different level from junior college to to come into uh, play at SC. It's a step up that people don't realize the difference in talent. Now, there's always great players out there that can come in and play. I think basically these players are coming in, and they'll be depth guys uh, on the depth chart for a while until one of them, you know, surface and become a great player. And I hope they are great players because you bring in these players. I used to tell my team when I went recruiting, I used to tell them, I'd call them all in as our final meeting of the year before we were recruiting. I'd call them all in and said, guys, I'm going out recruiting and my job is to come back and make all of you second string. <laughs> all you starters are going to be second string next year. <laughs> and I'd say, and I'd say, if you guys are second string, you know whose fault it is? It's your fault, but you're just sitting around doing nothing, and I'm going big game hunting. I'm going out there, and I'm going to find me the best players in America that I can bring in here, and if they're better, that means we're better. So the only way you can get better, you better work harder, and I'd simply do that. I would go out there thinking every single year, no matter what who I had played at any positions, I don't even care if it was Randall Cunningham or Icky Woods, I'll go find somebody better than them. And that's exactly what I did, and my players knew that. So it motivated them. I believe talent is the name of the game. When coaches think they're going to have coach people, hey, man, all coaches are good coaches. Don't get carried away with your coaching ability. You better get carried away with the type of players you're recruiting and who's representing you and what type of kids they are and are they winners and will they 
chop their hand off for you, or will they play hurt, or will they be loyal to the program? I mean, you got to have guys that, you know, this is a gladiator game, buddy. This is a gladiator game. You know, you go in there, you only got 12 hours a year for all the off-season and everything you do. And you got to get, uh, you got to get yourself where you're used to turf toes, you're used to burning your elbows on turf. You're used to a lot of things because you don't have a chance to, to do this very often. And, uh, and, and, and I think recruiting, that, this coaching, uh, you know, is, is great, but I think recruiting is even better. Well, it's recruiting season, Coach, and that's uh, USC fans love to hear that. Leading up to signing day, we'll be talking a lot more recruiting on the podcast on uscfootball.com. And we appreciate you uh, coming in, Coach, joining me in uh, Tennessee. I'm usually You're usually the one on remote somewhere. I'm, I'm usually home in the studio, but I'm in here in Tennessee. It's snow on the ground. It should be fun, and I'll be back, uh, and we'll be able to talk to you again next year. It'll be great. Hey, listen, when you're down there, get over to the Country Western Hall of Fame. Have you been over there? No, I think... We're, I think we're going to try and do that this week. That'll be fun. Get over there and look for my father-in-law. He's in there. Clippy Stone. I don't know how many people out there remember the name Clippy Stone. Used to have hometown jamboree there in El Monte. And also uh, he managed uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford. This is way before your time. You know, you, you know. You know, you don't. You were probably not even born when this was going on at KTLA. And all of that. I'm 40 you know? now, Coach. I'm old. I'm 40 years old. I turned 40 last week. Holy cow. <laughs> You can get your social security checks, but I'm telling you, 40, man, I tell you, you're a kid, okay? You're a kid. you got so much life in front of you and so on. Your best years are yet to come, Ryan. Well, I appreciate that, Coach, and I'm sure yours are as well. But even though you've had a great life so far, I mean, I don't know how it could get much better for you, but I'm sure it will. And we're 150 episodes old this week, Coach. This is episode 150. We've done 150 of these? Yeah, crazy, huh? Wow. Man, I tell you what, it goes fast when you're having fun, doesn't it? It definitely does. Uh, yeah, two years strong going on three years. It'll be great. Good. Listen, I want to wish you and your family and all of our listeners out there a very happy new year. And try to take in a lot of those Tournament of Roses events, especially the Hall of Fame. Bad buddies going in. Call the tournament, 626-449-4100. Find out how you can get tickets to that. That's Thursday. This coming Thursday, December the 30th at 12 noon at the Pasadena Convention Center. And Ryan, I don't know when you're coming back, but please travel back safely, and I'll look forward to being with you next week. Sounds good, Coach. I, I repeat that sentiment to everyone. Happy New Year. Hope you had a great holiday. We appreciate you listening to the Peristyle Podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 